Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in today. Today's episode is brought to you by Bluefish Design in Tempe, Arizona. Bluefish Design is a full-service marketing ad agency uh, that can help you out with your website development, your logos, your branding, your rebranding, your interactive and digital media, really whatever it takes to take your company to the next level. They're fun, they're hip, they're fresh. Check them out online, www.bluefish.com. That's B-L-U-F-I-S-H.com. And now for episode 22, all about Cabernet Franc. It's a lot of fun. You know, we started the episode talking all about uh, old school cartoon intros, got into Cabernet Franc and had a really fun discussion. So really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you very much. find it hilarious that those are the songs that get you hyped up <laughs> you know some of those 80s not just cartoons but like the 80s shows like stuff like alf or even like family ties or hearing some of those theme songs it's like you get goosebumps well the he-man one was so bad he-man but, but it was also so good Oh, dude, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ones, at least everybody can recognize and kind of remember, because it did travel a little into the 90s, and then obviously 2000s with some movies. But like, He-Man stopped in what, the 90s? It's really funny, because if I watch a cartoon nowadays, I'm like, man, that's so cheesy, that's like just bad, I can't believe kids watch that shit, and then I, <laughs> I look at that. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. It was the worst. Like, I've watched uh, Sarah's uh, little sister and like uh, my little, uh, I guess, stepbrothers, they watch all these cartoons on Nickelodeon or like whatever the Disney channel is, and it's all this bad CGI, and I'm like, God, that looks corny and terrible. And then meanwhile, I'd watch like a Ren and Stimpy or Doug, and it looks like somebody missed filling in colors sometimes on drawings and it would look like shaky and grainy it's like wow that was just as terrible too <laughs> well you know the story of like how he-man was created i don't know if you saw that show on netflix it was called like uh how the, the toys we grew up with yeah. or something yeah they had an episode on he-man they had an episode on gi joe they had one on barbie and kind of how they all started but the guys who created he-man had to have been on a lot of drugs yeah they went into their meeting to present it and they didn't know they just made it all up like on the spot, on the spot. <laughs> like they did that make sense because his terrible bowl cut and his pink shirt, like you were watching, and all of a sudden he throws a sword up in the air and turns into what is a gay person's fantasy yeah. at that point. <laughs> they, they 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 had created the characters, but there was no story, no background, no nothing behind it. And oh, so, just the characters. They just all they had were the the figurines, basically, <laughs> the, and they went into the. Uh, like whoever the distribution company was that was making them and said, hey, here's our toys. Do you want to do this? And they're like, well, what's the story? And this guy literally pulled this thing out of his ass. He's like, oh, we're going to have a whole comic book series. We're going to tie that into a cartoon series and this, this, and this. And they literally walked out of that meeting going, man, that's a great idea. I didn't know we were doing that. He goes, I didn't know either until I said it. <laughs> like it sounds they, like the concept of how the fire festival was created, except they actually made this work with a product. What really kind of made G.I. Joe, though, was the fact that not G.I. Joe, but He-Man was that the figures actually came with little cartoon books, almost like little mini comic books that had oh, stories. Okay. in. Yeah. So once you got your character, you're able to kind of thumb through it and read the story in the background and then you can kind of act it out. I used to love G.I. Joe. So my I think I, I can vaguely remember my first like, you know, action figure toys growing up. I had like their Jurassic Park set because I had Legos. I grew up with all Legos, I like to build stuff and then destroy it. But yeah, all the time. <laughs> 
So I had GI Joe, tons of GI Joes. The GI Joes were so much fun, man. Especially the ones that like shot the missiles like out of cannons and stuff like that. And uh, what was the bad guy in GI Joe? Was that Cobra? Cobra Commander. Cobra Commander. And, and then what was the other one? The uh, Destro. There was a video game for it too. They made a terrible movie with John Claude Van Damme. Not Mortal Kombat, but like the other com- Street Fighter. Mm. They had a Street Fighter ones too. So like those are the toys that I had. And the GI Joes, man. I wish I still had those today because they've got to be worth a ton of money. I've, I'm sure they ended up in a dumpster somewhere a long time ago. I do have some of my GI Joes. A lot of them kind of got just beaten up. I mean, they weren't made of best high quality plastic yeah. back then and you know we beat our toys up do you remember the cartoon the gi joe the fake cartoons that people did the overdub no you've ever seen those you've never seen those oh it's great so you remember the old shorts they used to have for gi joe like hey kids don't go into that building because there's a fire and like gi joe would teach you to stop drop yeah. and roll and no, no, knowing is half the battle knowing is half exactly so this guy overdubbed it with the creepiest stuff ever and it's hilarious so there's one where uh this one guy always shows up and goes hey everybody wants to get a body massage and then the kids look over and then the rest of the whole thing is like him sitting there standing behind the kid now he's basically on the real infomercial telling him hey you know don't go play with strangers know this but the way it's set up looks like he's giving these kids body massages and stuff just because he overdubbed it it's hilarious they have so many of them it's almost like a like a bad lip reading kind it's of bad thing. lip reading but on the gi joe commercials they're some of the funniest things i've seen whoever came up with that bad lip reading is a genius oh they're great he's got a ha- he's got like his own entire series at this point with every sport i wonder do you think he makes how much money he makes off that or whoever does that he's got to make money off of advertising but maybe not because he's copywriting uh i don't think he has nfl's permission <laughs> true I mean, I guess you can make money off just the clicks to YouTube and all the shares. And the more people that watch it on YouTube, you're going to make... I mean, if you have I bet a, YouTube makes the money. I doubt he makes the money. Because if he's not getting permission from the NFL or MLB or whoever to use those screenshots or whatever, I would imagine he's not getting anything. I don't know. I, I don't know this for a fact, obviously, but I can't imagine he would be. I often wonder about some of these media people, how they make money. Because you know, you see them and they're balling. And it's like, wait a minute, all you do is do like Vine videos or you do yeah. like, so you make memes and you're making money? Well, yeah. Like, That's what's crazy to me. Like those Instagram people, like the, you know, quote unquote influencers. I get some, I can understand how some make money, but other ones, I'm like, how the hell do you have all this? Well, that's actually the new thing that's been a lot of, it's being talked about a lot in the wine business is... Uh, wine influencers now yeah and trying to get your product placed in a wine influencer's hand or in their instagram shot is actually becoming a big big deal and instead of having an ambassador go out on the streets paying somebody like me money to go out and sell their wine they're having these influencers take pictures of the wine to give it brand oh, recognition. Yeah. I mean, like LeBron James, I know, is a big wine guy, and so is Dwayne Wade. We were talking about that. Could you imagine if, like, LeBron James took an Instagram picture and just off to the side he's holding a bottle of one of your products? Oh, my God, you're going to sell 100,000 of those bottles in a week. Or, you know, you got one of those supermodels that has, you know, 50 million followers, and she's sitting there, you know, daily going, ooh, I can't wait to drink Mayomi. Yeah, right. But, but then all of a sudden, you're now exposing that brand to 50 million people, and that's the problem with the best industry unless you're a beer company you don't have a way to really expose yourself i mean as a wine company all i see is what stella rosa on billboards yeah do you see yellow yellow tail yellow tail did some commercials that's one of the first wine commercials i've seen um i think uh there was another one i I saw saw super bowl was yellow tail but the ones i always see yeah stella rosa yellow tail and Santa Margarita, I think, had one for a little bit, too. Yeah, but honestly, off the top of my head, I can't think of any. But there's a Bud Light commercial every day, or every five minutes, every every five seconds. You can name, you can remember Bud Light commercials from when you were a kid. Like, I remember the Bud, 
wise. Yeah. And but the same thing with liquor companies. Look at the Jack Daniels. They got Mila Kunis or whatever doing the uh, Jim Beam. Jim Beam. Yeah. You have Matthew McConaughey doing Wild Turkey commercials. Oh yeah, that's a good. One. Uh, George Clooney does the like Trace Amigos or whatever. But that he, one's he's called. part owners in that. That's yeah, his but company. still, I mean, he's the face of it at that point. But you never see it in the wine business ever. You really can't, and I don't understand why. You know, I can I can think of reasons maybe because of the cost. I'm thinking the margins and just because it costs so much more to produce wine and you can only produce it once a year versus spirits. You could just keep banging it out and keep making money. Just all you're doing is printing money at that it's point. kind of similar to food. The only food commercials I see are for fast foods and the occasional random big chain. But you never see little guys make commercials. Chili's baby. Well, if we were going to monetize this, we lost any money off doing that for four seconds. We're going to get a cease and desist from Chili's in a minute. No, they're stoked we did it. You know, I mean, that's, yeah, also, that's a good point. It also proves that branding works, you know, sure and marketing you remember works. That. You remember those really crappy jingles. We've talked about, uh, you know, something like Budweiser or some of these like Coca-Cola companies, like some of these people that have made such great commercials. For me, it's Budweiser has actually had the best commercials over the years. Yeah, they usually do. And I say this because they're ones that have impacted society. You brought up the whole Budweiser. Or the What's Up. What's Up. You know, you got the Bud Light Night now. Yep. Dilly Dilly or whatever Dilly it is. Dilly Dilly. I forgot about Dilly. God, I hated that. Everybody for weeks was just Dilly Dilly. Yeah. And after a while, you're like, damn it. Totally. But that's... I could imagine a marketing executive sitting in an office going, I got this idea. We're going to have everybody yell dilly dilly. And they're like, what? Oh, that's so stupid. Nobody's going to do that. Meanwhile, the intern's outside laughing his ass off and he just points and goes, see, <laughs> I told you the idiots yeah. were like that sometimes. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Or like, the, once again, the whole what's up thing. What was the uh, the other one that changed, I think, a lot of everything? I even think it changed the direction of some, some commercials was Old Spice. Once they did that quick shoot, flash to another thing, kind of funny, all over the place thing, Old Spice, A, took off because I never thought of Old Spice as being a good brand or anything, and now I actually buy it. That's kind of my go-to deodorant. And it was hilarious to watch that guy. I'm on a horse. I'm off a horse. I'm holding tickets. Your girlfriend's with me. Now look away. Now look back. Now your girlfriend's naked. And you're like, oh my God, this commercial's fantastic. <laughs> That's another one. Like imagine trying to present that to a board of executives, your idea for this commercial. Yeah. It's like the most ADD ridden commercial of all time. Like we're going to be quick shooting, moving around. And now it's Terry Crews with his shirt off all the time, just flexing his muscles and yelling. And it's still funny. That dude's old too. Like he's not young. I mean, that dude's like in his fifties and he is jacked. Yeah. Then again, I can't say that old is 50s because you're creeping up there, buddy. I am creeping up. No, it's weird, though. Like, you know, you can have such amazing marketing. So maybe that's all it takes. Maybe one day the right marketing team will go in. They'll take a massively marketed wine label and make a funny ass commercial out of it. Also, maybe maybe that it's harder to make a commercial about wine because the vintages are so limited and the amount of wine is so limited. And you can't necessarily just say, hey, I'm going to do a commercial about this Cabernet Franc, you're going to do it around all the winery or the, the history of the winery? Like, if you're going to do Camus, do you talk about Conundrum and Special Selection? I know that they're separate because yeah. of divorce now, but you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's, a, valid, it's a valid question, though. Because if it, cause at least Budweiser, you got Budweiser, Bud Light. You only have one or two line well, extensions. Then they, but you remember the old one they used to have with the penguin, the Bud Ice? Oh, that doobie, yeah. doobie, doo. And mm -hmm. everybody would freak out when they see the penguin and run away. We got... Was it Bud Light with Lime? There's other commercials that are out Keystone there. Keystone had Bitter Beer Face. Ooh, that was a good one. Yeah. Bitter Beer Face. Everybody would run away. <laughs> I feel like that's one that they actually have to bring back. Probably. It's it, funny I can remember that. I don't know any Miller Light commercials. You remember the Miller High Life guy? They had the guy constantly like 
interrupting everybody and stealing their high life. I remember, well, there was the, the guy who passed away, the delivery driver. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember Light Beer, L-I-T-E, whatever it was like. They had the whole thing, like, give me a light. And someone actually hit him like a light bulb or like a floor light. Uh, yeah. That was like 80s beer commercials. Yeah. Because all the other ones, you know, there's no craft beer ones really for the most part. I guess you don't. Because look at, yeah, even craft beers. They don't really promote. They don't kind of need to for TV. I guess because maybe that's not the crowd. I you mean, if, well, let's see. The biggest craft beer, I mean, I guess it's not really craft anymore, but something like Sam Adams does. But yeah, that's know, which, huge. But, but what does Sam Adams talk about? Only the Boston Lager. Yeah. You don't, you don't hear about any of their cherry wheats or their hefes. I mean, you hear about their helium. That's a great name. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I don't think, no, you weren't with me. It was Goldwater Brewing has the uh, Go-Go Sour Ranger for their, for their um, sour beer. I love names like that. Those are really fun. <laughs> I appreciate creative names for, you know, beverages. Yeah. You know, you could do that with beer all day long. I mean, yeah. You can't really do it with wine so much. I mean, Not really. And I think maybe because people think about wine in a way of like, you know, there's the romance to it. There's an expensive, there's a, there's a classiness to it. So making a really gimmicky commercial might not be what they want to see. Like even, I, I do remember Yellowtails was do the rue or something like that. That was their thing. <laughs> right. And so... I could kind of see where making a wine commercial would have made sense. Now, if you were making like a ridiculous sparkling like me, like with my summer rain being a green apple wine, and I carbonated that, I could make a goofy-ass commercial with that and do something. You could probably do it with champagne, too. You can make a cheap, inexpensive champagne and have it where people are at a club, and they open it, and they spray it on people, and then somebody wins an F1 formula event and sprays it on people. Somebody's in a divorce case, wins a ton of money, starts spraying it on all the lawyers, and be like, hey, for a celebration... Champagne. By the way, if anybody makes that commercial, I want my cut. <laughs> <laughs> I think with beers, also like craft beers, you could they do so many one-offs. A lot of these things you can't really do a commercial. Like think about something like Renhouse Brewery up the street, or Dermot's place. He does so many little side projects. Oh, hey, we got this bourbon barrel beer that we made one barrel of, and I gave the barrel to somebody else, and we're not gonna make it for three more years. Yeah, that was crazy talk. I can't wait for us to put that podcast off and. That'll be fun because people will have probably listened to that by now, too. So that one's super fun. I think the other thing about the advertising thing is Bud Light probably has obviously hundreds of millions of dollars to afford to put places. But it's different. Like if you're in California, do you just hit the California market? Like, do you bother putting your you know, advertisers in another city? or another state for that matter, versus all you need is that one Instagram person with, shoot, even a million followers. And all of a sudden, boom, now you've got a free, or not free, I'm assuming it costs some stuff, but yeah, man, everybody's going to see it. That's actually another thing I didn't think of until you just brought it up, is the logistics behind wine. Many of these wine producers, the wines aren't in every state. Yeah. They're not even, they're so hard to find as it is. That something like a mainstream beer or a mainstream spirit, they're in every state. It's everywhere. They could be, you could find them in 50 states. You, you can find Jack Daniels around the world. Yes. But something like a Great Cabernet, even something along the lines of, say, like a Camus or a Silver Oak or some of these well-known Napa producers, they might not make it to every state. Or if they do, there's only a small amount that might make it to that state. Yeah. Why would you advertise in Montana if you've got four cases up there? And if you're spending money on X area... It doesn't make sense for it to be on advertising in a state you don't want. Like a magazine would make sense because it goes across the country and maybe there's more people in some places. But Instagram is one shot and everybody who follows will most likely see it. And then even people who don't follow that particular person might see it like in the feed going by. Yeah. A lot of people follow hashtags, too. So hashtags, yeah. You know, you can actually subscribe to a hashtag. So if you want to subscribe to, I don't know, like spilling the truth hashtag, 
no matter who. Excellent plug. Who? Oh, I wasn't trying to do that, but good idea. <laughs> but if you follow that hashtag, even whether I post something about it, you post something about it, Sarah posts something about it, or one of our guests posts something about it, you're going to see it whether you're following that person or not. You know, and I'm sure that there's some people that follow certain winery hashtags that they're huge fans of, stuff like that. Yeah, I'm sure. Then again, there's also a lot of people that just don't even go on Instagram or don't go on social media or stay far away from it. That's true. And they're also aiming towards different crowds. TV is definitely for older crowds or main events. And the main events, like, uh, you know, whether it's NBA games, MLB games, Super Bowls, football, things like that, you have people across the country watching some, so it makes sense to advertise for there, but you're going to spend the money. Now, if it's a TV show, who knows? That's a very specific crowd. Well, so social media is younger people, so you want to tailor younger kind of drinks, foods, whatever towards them. And the older crowd is going to want their box stuff and their big giant name brand things that are already out there. You got to reel in the young crowd too, like early, you know, there's a reason why, you know, we had cigarette commercials when we were young. They wanted to gather, you know, <laughs> get all the young kids. They yeah. do. And well, that's, that's the point I think of some of these people that are using influencers now is because they can influence the younger generations. They can influence the the millennials because the millennials are the ones that are on Instagram. Your dad's generation is not on Instagram. Like, <laughs> yeah, he. I love how he has says his your uh, Insta face or your uh, your. I can't remember what he calls it. Your face something. My my, my, my Facebook or my book or yeah, or, it's always something yeah. stupid. Your face space or whatever. It's always like nope, that's not what it's called. But all right, I forget. You don't use a computer other than for emails. And when he does this email, I can hear him typing. It's like click, click. Click, 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 click. Stares one inch from the screen, lifts his glasses, looks back at it. Click, click, click. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> well, I read, I read a really interesting article today actually about um, millennials in the wine business. This is, I've read 50 articles like this, but this was actually a really interesting one as to how the millennials are actually changing the business and the way it's all done nowadays. And that's where they brought up the whole influencers and stuff like that. Yeah. And, but they brought up the fact that, you know, millennials are more interested in trying stuff that their parents don't drink. They're more interested in the craft beer that's got some funky way to produce it than having something that their grandpa drank, you know? Yeah. They'd rather have a wine from Georgia, Hungary, Turkey, Croatia. They'd rather have something from some little funky region that they could tell their friends all about and be like, hey, I'm drinking this, and it was made by Guatemalan monks. And <laughs> Those damn Guatemalan <laughs> monks, They're, they're everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> but, but I'm tired of Guatemalan monks at this point. <laughs> but I, I mean, to your point, I, I think that you kind of hit that middle ground is we like to try the new stuff. We like to venture out and get away from the old norms kind of a thing. But yet the older generation was probably so ingrained with the very few brands that they had. And then when it got to them, they were amazed. Like I remember my dad talking about when he was in the military, they drove through certain cities so they can get cores and bring it to their friends back in New York because people are like, oh my God, you brought cores to New York and people lose their minds. And now that they're older, they're not willing to experiment. You know my dad well enough. The only thing he really experimented on wine was, was Brunello. And now because he liked something so much right out of the gate, he'll give other wine shots, but he's focused on Zin, Cab, Brunello, and the occasional Pinot. But if I were to pour a craft beer in front of him, 1% chance he's going to like really give it the try that he should. He'll probably take a sip of it and be like, man, whatever, and then drink St. Pauli's Girl Coors or something, you know, what he likes. Versus me, I get bored. I want to move on to the next thing constantly. And I, and I can't really figure out why that would be for the most part. It has to do with the, the internet and our phones and kind of the society we're in nowadays. and the Constant the, movement. And yeah. you nailed it earlier. 
the fact that we have so much variety now versus back then there wasn't as much variety. Yeah, you had like eight beers to choose from. Yeah. Now, if you had a brewery in your town, that was probably the rarest thing on the planet. And now I could walk to the brewery down on my street that has eight different beers every week. Yeah, that's a good point. They constantly are re- trying something new. Always something new in there. And that's the way it is with a lot of the breweries around. I mean, think about here in town. I mean, Huss is always doing that. Arizona Wilderness always has, oh, this is a special release. They're doing all these collaboration projects. Yep. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess if you were across the street from the Anheuser-Busch Brewery, you'd walk in the door, and they're going to have Budweiser, Bud Light, and the other eight brands they're making. That's it. Versus, and then it's the same thing all the time. But you're right. If you're across the street from Ren House, or what's that beer shop just right up the road? The we'll, just call it, we'll just call it the beer shop yeah. since it's always been beer shop. You know, they're going to rotate through tons of different stuff all the time. So it's kind of nice. But I, I, I feel bad for older generations. They missed out, and now they're just stuck, and they're just saying, this is it. That's all I'm going to have. <laughs> you know, when we're that generation, we're going to be wanting our craft dry-hopped beers, and they're going to be using some crazy freaking space dust-hopped shit, and they're going to use some, like... I believe that if we were to colonize, like, the moon and the Mars, and people planted vines up there and put a dome over it and watered it, they'd be like, here's our newest moon Pinot Noir from the, you know, Aquatian Sea crater. And you'd be like, oh, my God, I got to try that. Yeah, like or hops on the moon. Hop, yeah. Hops from the dark side of the moon. and That'd be, that'd be awesome to have some breweries up there. But you'd have to import all the water to get up there. <laughs> the people 30 years ago could not foresee what's going on right now in the beverage industry. Yeah. And I, we can't foresee what's going to happen in 30 years. Yeah. Could you imagine being the monks and back to monks? Guatemala. Guatemala. <laughs> Guatemala. <laughs> The monks in Belgium making all this, you know, big, heavy, you know, triple beers and doubles and all these quads. And then somebody comes along and goes, well, we made this really light beer. And they're like, what? From where? And they're like, oh, from Germany or South France or Italy or whatever. And then if you're a country that makes nothing but distilled spirits and wine comes in, you'd be blown away. I don't think people appreciate how amazing it is to be in an industry where every day there's a new product on a shelf. It's hard to keep track of. I mean, it's impossible. It's terrible if you're like, if you're brand new and you want to start up, it's easy to do it. But man, to get your product to move, which wow. I can understand why an, uh, an older generation who knows what they like is going to be like, I don't want to try 50 new things that just came out this week. It's I true. know I like this. I wonder what will be like the controversial stuff when we get older, like, you know, 30, 40 years from now, like if people will come along and be hop farms get bought out by big giant company and then you don't get the specific strain of hops anymore and then people can't try that or you know if the ipas will be like if we had kids and like 30 years from now like you guys drink ipas that's so stupid what a waste you guys waste so much malt and barley to make high alcohol we only like our one percent alcohol drinks like it's going to take a massive downswing on alcohol as people realize it's so much more unhealthy (laughs) i mean i like low alcohol stuff personally i've been liking low alcohol more and more i don't want to be drunk I like On to one I, can, yeah. Yeah, I like to enjoy my day, my night, my evening. I want to wake up the next day and feel great. I don't want if I'm drinking super high alcohol stuff, I'm hammered after a couple beers or a couple glass of wine. I had a quad recently from uh, as at Broadhouse and they had that Belgian quad and I, dude, I sipped it. I, everybody else around me probably went through three beers before I got one. I was like, "Holy crap." And I was Probably as drunk as all of them. <laughs> and maybe that's... I mean, it was delicious, though, by the way. It really was. And maybe that's sometimes why I, I wake up a little hungover from going to, you know, Ren House, because their beers do get to be 6 to 8% alcohol. It's not your typical 3 4 5%. It's true. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of funny, because I hear a certain uh, older generations talk about weed, and how they were like, man, back in the day, you'd have to smoke like an entire tree to get high, and now they'll take one hit, and they're like, holy shit, I'm on the other side of the moon. It's rare for me to find beer under 5%. Like, you have to find a crazy session beer that's really light, something where you could drink it down the river. And you know what it always ends up being? 
a Bud Light or something like that. <laughs> Even the Kolsch or this Pilsner that we're drinking is still almost 5%. Yeah. And I mean, it's delicious, but yeah. That's also, I just noticed I said can instead of bottle like a minute ago. I said, yeah, it's a good can because everything I'm having now is out of cans instead of bottles. (laughs) Well, because light is so bad for beer. It's like one of the worst things you can have affect your beer is sunlight or any outside light. So So I'd heard, and this relates to wine a bit because obviously dark bottles are needed to protect from light, but I'd heard clear bottles obviously are bad for everything because the light will destroy it. But green bottles are specifically used for certain styles of beer because it adds a skunkiness to it because the way the light hits it, it breaks certain characteristics down, leaving a skunky flavor. And I noticed that in certain beers that I've always kind of talked to people about, but like, oh, I get it. And it was with the Peroni. I mean, did we have, was this with uh, Dermot? Dermot. Okay. And I, I didn't know if we talked about it on the show and that's what I was trying to figure I out. I can't remember if we talked on the show if we talked about it on the we side. We were talking about it beforehand because we were sitting around drinking Peronis and Heinekens. Yeah. And, but all the green bottle the, beers are... And the, the other one, the Stella. Yeah, yeah. All, all green bottle beers have a little funk to them. Yeah, and he was telling us that, yeah, the green bottle actually adjusts that flavor just a hair. So I can understand why somebody who's doing really fresh beer, something that's like a dry hopped, fresh beer, you want it in a can. You don't want it in a bottle. Plus, it's probably cheaper you know, to move it in because you could put pallets and pallets of tin cans or aluminum cans, excuse me, and uh, it weighs way less than bottles will. So that's an expense. Plus, the other cool thing I like Rent House does is you fill the can up and they seal it right on the spot. Yep. The crawlers. Is that what they're calling yeah. them? crawlers? That's awesome. Yeah. They were actually filling up crawlers last night of their donut beer, the Happy Two Donut, which I was shocked. I was like, oh, man. I almost want to get cool. one of those. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with wine. It's, it's, I noticed it with my fridge the other day. I, was, uh, I saw that the light hits it now during this time of the year. So I had to like readjust the door because it was just hitting the bottles. I mean, it's why all wine bottles minus white wines are all dark to protect that little bit of light. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, your white wines, you just you want to drink them you're right gonna away. Drink it. It's rare. It's going to age. And even the ones you do age, the burgundy has a little tint to it. Always. I mean, yeah. when you get those, you know, they're, they're typically almost like a really dark it's tan. Called, it's called dead leaf. That's the color. Actually, that actually makes it up. That's, yeah. that's a perfect description for it. Yeah, dead leaf color. So, yeah. So, speaking of dead leaf color, this Cab Franc looks like that. <laughs> so, today, we're talking about Cabernet Franc. Yay. You know, sometimes it's, you know, Jonathan and I have discussions sometimes the week before a show, sometimes the day before a show, sometimes five minutes before a show. Like, <laughs> what, what do you want to drink today? Sometimes we have a few drinks the night before to figure out what we want. <laughs> you know, it's always fun to come up with different themes. And I'm really happy the way we do this, where sometimes it's about a region, sometimes it's around a person, sometimes it's around a winery, sometimes it's just a general conversation. You know, I like the fact that we do the, this could actually, actually, this could be considered a Cabernet Conversation episode. Yeah. Because, you know, we're, we're starting the Cabernet Conversations, which are going to be episodes where we just pop a couple bottles of Cabernet and just have a good conversation. Yep. Technically. Cabernet Conversations. Ca- technically, these are a couple bottles of Cabernet, <laughs> even though yeah. it's Franc. Even though it's Franc. So what do you know about Cabernet Franc? <sighs> well, I know the first one I ever had was with you about, what, two was that your first ago? one? I thought you just... My first real one. Okay. I've had one before that was just terrible. And unfortunately, it was one of those wines where when you drink a certain wine... And it's so bad, you immediately go, wow, that must be what the grape is like. I don't ever want to drink that again. And that was Cab Franc. Uh, I got lucky enough to have a really good Malbec was one of my first. I've had a really good Pinot that got me into Pinots. The first time I had a Cab Franc was a cheap, inexpensive one that somebody had poured. And it tasted straight like green bell, pepper, jalapeno, just that awful green note. And it like medicine. And I just I hated it. I thought it was terrible. They can get very, very green. I mean, yeah. almost 
over the top green. And to me, that is the the sign of a quality producer is when they can produce one that's not super green, like almost like a Chilean Cabernet green. Yeah. That like that whole cluster green, like immediately, you know it, you go, well, this is either a flaw. I see. I think it's a flaw if it's so prevalent. And I mean, if it's lightly there, you know, okay, cool. It adds character. But man, the one I had was just terrible. And it was a French cab franc. I do remember that. You know, uh, somewhere along the line, uh, you had accidentally grabbed that hourglass bottle <laughs> thinking it was Merlot. We had Cab Franc instead, and it was the 2006, and this was, yeah, a couple years ago. When, and did, I, when did we actually realize we were actually drinking Franc instead of Merlot? We were like halfway through the bottle. We both, <laughs> sat, we both sat there and said it was a little more tannic than we thought, and you made a comment about the flavor, and you're like, there's too much flavor here. And then you finally looked at I think you were dancing, by the way, to a fish song randomly, and you're like, oh, shit. This is not Merlot. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. And uh, that I was sad because I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. This is what Merlot could taste like, like this. And obviously it wasn't. And ever since then, every time I go to Napa, I always make sure to try a Cab Franc. And it turns out more and more, I like it more and more. You know, the first quality Cabernet Franc from California I can remember having was from Brian Page, uh, Page Cellars. Not like the Page Springs not here. Page but, Springs, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Brian's like a little one-man operation up in Napa. And he made a wine called the Revolver Cab Franc. And it literally, it blew me away. And that was one of the first questions I asked him was, how do you make it so it doesn't taste like green bell peppers? You know, and it has to do a lot with, I think, vineyard management. Yeah. The other thing about Cab Franc that I've learned is it's very fickle with weather. And it actually likes cold weather way more than it does warm. I think Cab Franc is... Uh, it's what people should drink before they get into Cabernet Sauvignon because it's like a lighter version. It's way more aromatic. The tannins aren't as big. So some of the best places for it, I mean, Napa Valley is obviously amazing, but New York does really well with it. Sonoma does well with it. France obviously has it in some areas that do really, really well with it. It just doesn't like crazy hot weather. Do you know that most of the Cab Franc in the world is grown in France? I believe it. More than half. Really? It's almost it's almost like 70% of the world's Cabernet Franc is grown in France. And I'd bet that most of it wasn't single bottled, except maybe I guess the Loire. Area. Uh, Chinon. Chinon? Chinon is a Cabernet Franc. And okay. then, you know, you get in like areas of like saint Emilion, they do a lot of Cabernet Franc. Isn't the other one like Bougal or Bougal? I can't, I'm, I'm obviously saying that wrong, but yeah. And also, you're right though, uh, it's interesting you said that about it growing well in cold weather climates because... It was some. It's one of the varietals that grow a lot in New York State. Yeah, it's one of the red varietals they grow because you don't get a lot of reds. You get a lot of whites. Yeah, and then I've, they've been using it in Canada for ice wine. Oh a yeah, lot. that's well. That was some of my first experiences ever with ice wine was the Inniskillen. Inniskillen Cab Franc. Oh yeah. my, it's like I think it's everybody's like some of their first ones. It's delicious. Well, also they did a great job with packaging. I mean, their their packaging looks like a, like an, a club wine because it's all like got great color. It's got like a frosted bottle, like. It looks fun, and it's expensive. It's expensive. Yeah, ice wine's always going to be up there. Yeah, I, I have always been enjoying more and more Cab Franc, especially as that uh, people can appreciate how to make it right. So I see more plantings of it. I see more people doing single uh, varietals of it, because obviously it's been used for a blending agent for the longest time. I think I've only, I've only made one single bottling of it uh, for the winery, but for the most part, we use it in blends a lot in some of our wines. It's nice, you know, if you have too aggressive of a Cabernet Sauvignon, add a little Cab Franc to it to kind of tame it down just a hair. But the nice thing is the aromatics on a Cab Franc can be absolutely amazing. So I learned something that, you know, we always talk about Cabernet Franc being the father of Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. But it's also the parent of Merlot. 
Oh, really? Yeah. I, oh, so Cab Franc is a uh, kind of a whore. Yeah, it's it's gotten around. It's produced a lot of children. It's producing a lot of children from a lot of different families. Nineteen varietals and counting. <laughs> so there, there's it's it's related to a couple other varietals as well. I went through a phase where I really wanted people to blend or do more and more 100% Cabernet Francs, and now I'm kind of in a phase where I like it being blended in. Yeah. And it, for me, it's really easy to pick out, too. Like, in Napa Valley, often you'll get a Cabernet Sauvignon, and you'll taste it, and you're like, hmm, there's a little bell pepper in the background of that. I'm like, I bet you they put a little Cab Franc. And you look on the text sheet or the information sheet on the website, and you're like, sure as shit, 7%, yep. 7% Cab Franc. I'll say one of my most recent favorite wines, and uh, it's like, I absolutely love these guys. It's on Continuum uh, up on Pritchard Hill. So they're, most of their blends originally were mostly cab-based, and they still are Cabernet Sauvignon-based. Over the last, I think, year or two, they went from only like 10, maybe 15% Cab Franc to I think this year, because I got my allocation, they had like 30, 35% Cabernet Franc into it. And it made such a difference. I was just up there uh, this summer, but I see my uh, friend Soup up there. And um, we went there, and it's amazing how much softer the wine is, how much more approachable it is, and the, the perfume that comes off it. That nose is fantastic. It's seriously one of my favorite wines. I think it's so much better sometimes for people who are getting new into wines that they don't immediately aren't handed a you know, 100% Napa Valley last year's vintage cab that comes off a mountain because they'll be like, holy crap, this is the most aggressive wine I've ever had. It's so tannic. I don't want to drink that again. Yeah, I think, was it Durbit was talking about the Cabernet that he brought to like a business meeting or he bought for some like business associates? I think it was. That sounds right, yeah. And he mentioned that he went to the store, he bought like a $150 bottle, showed up, opened it up, and nobody really liked it. But it was a big, over-oaked Napa cab that should have laid down for 10 years. And yeah. unfortunately, an average person walking to a wine shop looking, going, hey, that's $150, and I've seen it, I've heard of it, that's a good wine. They don't realize that they shouldn't open it that day. Yeah. That's a hard thing with a lot of those Napa wines, man. They look at it and go, oh, well, 2016, that's two years ago. It's got to be good. And then they open it and they're like, oh, my God, that was my mouth is dry. The tan level is crazy. It feels like there's sandpaper in my mouth. And then they don't want to ever drink that again. <laughs> that's the wine you could actually just go ahead and put in your car for like, like I don't know, two hours. Let it get nice and warm. Get, <laughs> let it get to be about, you know, 90 degrees. Let it Cook age. Cook the hell out of it. Well, it's going to age in an extra couple of years really quick and then cool it down and serve it. That'd be funny. I would love to see somebody just stick it in a microwave for two minutes to give it a little heat to it. Not two minutes, but like a couple seconds and use that as an excuse. It would be. Oh, I'm just aging my wine. Because, <laughs> I mean, essentially heat is just progressing the age of the wine unfortunately there's also 27 psalms that listen to that just just lost their mind <laughs> that's good i'm glad yeah that's gonna happen quite often i mean when, when you're done cooking your wine go ahead and cowboy decant it and serve it <laughs> <laughs> so i did that the other night i don't remember where i was but there was a bottle sitting on the table and uh oh i was at az wines these guys came in and they were sitting there and I was pouring some fun wines for them. I was they they drank a Zinfandel and they wanted to learn more. I was like, well, you know, let's try a Napazin and see what you think. And then I had them try a uh, a Chablis because you know they wanted to try a crazy white. And then I grabbed that uh, La Segure, uh, the Italian one, because I was like, you got to try this if you want time. And I poured it and I sat there and cowboy decanted that thing for a good minute. And I, they were just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm shaking. I'm getting air into the bottle. And I mean, it's a, it's a 
cheap venturi basically I yeah mean, but then it did feel weird because then you know my thumbs over where i'm pouring this wine out of as i'm shaking this bottle in front sure, of that's what, people that's, i didn't know that's why i don't do it in public i don't i mean if i do it's me and my friends hanging out like, yeah I, I wouldn't do it under a professional <laughs> to, to go situation. to pour at a restaurant be like hold on i gotta shake this up or like at a trade show like oh yeah. here <laughs> hold on a minute <laughs> that'd be really funny if you brought to a trade show a blender and just put on hold on i gotta decant this pour this in the blender and just blend blend to order Blend order. <laughs> just, you want thirty? You want you want two years? You want four years? You want to taste six years? All right, hold on, give me a ten second blend. <laughs> Dude, I just I couldn't imagine being at a trade show and having the guy next to me like sitting there with a blender. blender. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a Vitamix. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You making smoothies? Just decanting my wine really quickly. Well, there was an event we did in California where they did just smoothies. Brought this up in my mind, but they were doing uh, Cabernet snow cones that were freaking delicious. Like they were pouring Cabernet on it. Yeah, kind of like. Right. It was pretty freaking good. That's interesting. You know, like the Snoopy Snow Cone machine? The Snoopy Snow Cone. <laughs> Another one of those little toys I, I had when I was a kid. I, oh, oh, this was a toy? Well, the Snoopy Snow Cone machine was a toy. You put like... The, like it, the little bake oven or whatever? Yeah. for it was, it was a little house. And on the very top, you had like the chimney looking thing, I think. And it had like a Woodstock or Snoopy on top. <laughs> and you put ice inside of it. And you push down on the little thing on the top. And you, you turn a, the, the crank and... What comes out the bottom is ice shavings, and you can make your own snow cones. Yeah, I got nothing on that. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, I think I went through a couple of those because I broke a few, too. Yeah, well, I imagine the blades in there got dull as shit after, uh, like, a few turns. Good point. That's another thing they used to give us when we were kids. They probably wouldn't give kids nowadays. Blades? <laughs> totally. <laughs> Something you could stick your hand into and lose a finger? Yeah, here, let's give these six-year-olds ice shavers. <laughs> 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 Sounds like a great idea. Oh, man. Dude, what we were talking about <laughs> with Dermot was the fireworks we could buy as kids, and now they're like, nope, we're not doing any of that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that they allowed us to do when we were young that today parents wouldn't let their kids do. No way. Absolutely and, not. <laughs> and, I mean, it goes back to Christmas Story, giving a kid a BB gun. But Yeah. I, it's funny you were saying that because I was thinking to myself, well, they used to give kids BB guns. <laughs> yeah. And it was like a rite of passage for a kid, a young kid. Like, you didn't get a BB gun when you were 16. You got a BB gun when you were like 12. Yeah. 10. There is a lot of adults out there with a BB still stuck in their skin from childhood accidents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and same thing as I remember getting uh, my first Swiss Army knife and I was young. I, mean, I was yeah. probably 12 years old, 11 years old. My dad gave me a Swiss Army knife. I got a Swiss Army knife from our Catholic school auction. That's so we used to do this thing at our Catholic school. Uh, I must have been like fourth, fifth grade. You'd have to go around the neighborhood and sell raffle tickets, and the raffle tickets for the adults would win, you know, like a gimmicky prize. And I can't remember off the top of my head, like I don't know, a night at a hotel or whatever was donated to it, so the church could raise a ton of money. And whoever sold the most amount of tickets, they'd leave these bags out in the courtyard, and each bag had a different thing, like whether it was. You know, one day trip to Flagstaff or a notebook or a binder or pencils and, you know, crap stuff that nobody really wanted. But they also had Swiss Army knives and toy cars and things. And I got a Swiss Army knife out of that. And now that I think about it, I'm like, wow, a Catholic school when I was young auctioned off to our kids basically for raffle tickets a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> and I got it. And I did not stab anybody with it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't cut myself that I ever remember. I remember I was really pissed off. I lost my tweezers within like a day and I was so mad. Yeah. I think the worst thing I ever did was like as a kid, I stepped on a nail and it went all the way through my foot. I was actually stuck to the ground for a second until my dad yanked me off of it. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. I remember that memory quite well. That doesn't sound fun. No. No, it did not sound fun. And it was not fun. It's my first hospital visit, I believe. But yeah, that was a fun little uh, trip down memory lane there. Right? That's why I like wine like this, because it can take a crazy turn of 
Here's our like Cab Franc and ending it on Catholic school knife and foot stabbing incidents <laughs> with nails. <laughs> it's the best well, thing about wine. That's the fun thing about doing the show beer, too. Beer can't do that. You drink a can of beer in 10 seconds and you're on to the next thing. Yeah. I mean, because wine opens up your mind and it invokes extra thought. As you're thinking about the wine and breaking it down, I think it's opening and channeling things in your brain that bring out old memories and old thoughts too. So that's why you have such great conversations over a glass of wine. Yeah. What are your first thoughts on these wines? Well, I haven't actually tried the Napa Valley. Uh, I have tasted the, <laughs> it's surprising, to a Malibu Cabernet Franc. Yeah, why don't you, why don't you tell them about the Malibu I wine? know nothing about it. Excellent, me neither. So uh, a couple episodes ago, actually on the Cabernet Conversations episode. Yeah, the Cabernet Conversations. Yeah, number one, we opened uh, Malm Cellars Cabernet Sauvignon, an old bottle that I had. Uh, Brendan actually came to visit recently, and he brought me a few wines. And this is a wine he makes for somebody else. I have never had a Cabernet Franc made by him before, and it was just kind of a nice little gem. Uh, the producer is actually called Malibu Rocky Oaks. I've never seen it. I don't think it's produced or sold outside of Malibu. I think you actually have to go there to get it. And to me, this doesn't have that green characteristic. To me, this is actually very, very light Cabernet it's Franc. It's a very light Cab Franc. It's a very fruity, well-put-together Cab Franc. This would be a great gateway drug into Cabernet Franc. If someone says, hey, I want, I'm, I've been drinking a couple different red wines, I want to try uh, Cabernet Franc, I would recommend something like this because the tannins are really low, it's perfumey, the, uh, it doesn't have, actually has almost none of that bell pepper characteristic, it's, it's balanced, like it's not hot. Yeah, and it's real smooth, like it's real easy for like new wine drinkers to try um, it's got the fruitiness that people would like. So honestly, I, I think you're right. I think you're nailing it. Is It's a really easy introductory Cab Franc. Unfortunately, I can't tell you the price on it. I don't know what it goes for. I don't know where to buy it. It was just something he gave us. And we were talking about doing Cabernet Franc on this episode just to kind of talk about it. And I said, oh, he just gave me this bottle and I want to try it because have you ever had a Malibu wine before that you can remember? I, no, I, I know it's an AVA, that Malibu Coast AVA, but if I'm not mistaken, there's only one or two wineries there, and I think clearly this is one of them. I'd be intrigued, by the way, to know if it's still there, because that area got burned down. I'm not 100% well, sure, and I didn't really want to look it up, because I didn't want to be like, oh, we're trying this thing that doesn't exist anymore, but... I know it's a cool little aviate. There's only so much room you can clearly do. So if you're the guy who owns the 27 vineyards that are up there, good for you. So you might as well make an AVA out of it. I think he, it, I, It's only got 60 cases. That's what it says. So I, yeah, it's not a crazy amount. Yeah, I think he was doing more whites off this vineyard in the beginning. I'm really, really, really surprised. I'm oh, really yeah, with how close it is to the ocean. It's such cool weather. Like, honestly, it's a fantastic growing region, I'd imagine. 60 cases for this is pretty good size. And the fact that it's single vineyard Cab Franc. No, I'm, I'm enjoying this. This is a great introductory Cab Franc. So other places to grow Cab Franc. So typically in America, we're going to have it grown kind of up north in the mountains. You'll get it in the Sierra foothills. You'll get it in Napa Valley a lot. They tend to blend it in Napa Valley into their Cabernet Sauvignons. You don't get a whole lot of 100% francs out of there. Some yeah, people do it. A few. Yeah. yeah. Some people do it, but typically I, I feel... Really good producers will do it. Yeah. I don't see a whole lot in the South, personally. I have never seen anything... I mean, Malibu Oaks being the exception. I've seen... I think one bottle that I saw over in that, uh, not Santa Lucia, uh, the one we just did. The, um, oh my God. Starita. Thank you. Starita. I was like, oh my God, the area. Yes, Santa Ynez in that Ballard Canyon area. I've seen like one bottling of it. So I've seen a lot more coming out of Oregon recently. 
Uh, so I'm intrigued to see how that does up there. And I've, I haven't seen any out of Washington. Not that it doesn't exist. I know people are probably doing it. But we had the one from the last time I had one from America that wasn't Napa was the one I believe Dustin brought. And uh, it was New York. And it was actually pretty decent. Actually, I've had quite a few out of Washington State. It's actually pretty, it's grown pretty privately. Pretty big there. one up there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just haven't gotten around to doing that. So I'm, I think if somebody were to come up to me and say, hey, what's a good like starting one? This would be the one. Because unfortunately, all the ones I know, and I'm not sure what you know, is I know the higher end ones, the guys who do a really good job of the single vineyard ones. Because all the rest of them, are, like you said, they're coming out of country. Yeah. I mean, you have some produced in Chile, um, some produced in Spain. Um, Italy is actually Tuscany. It's really big in Tuscany. Yeah, don't they? What do they call it though over there? Cabernet Franc. <laughs> <sighs> wow. I figured there was a town called like Abiola or I no, don't I, know. I, I don't. You know what though? It's it's an international varietal and it has not achieved any DOCG status or DOC status in Italy. So all Cabernet Franc labelings are oh, are, gonna, are IGT. Oh, okay. In Italy, so just because of being a predominant french varietal i think history goes back to basque region and some span spanish heritage is where i think it goes back to i'm not quite sure on that yeah i don't think the people that have written books on it even know like a lot of this is speculation as to where some of these grapes originated yeah it's kind of funny that i don't see more of it only because it's the only thing that people could accidentally get away with marketing like cabernet sauvignon in a way because people will just be real quick to look at it and see cabernet and immediately not look at the franc part depending on how you label the bottle you know, and I think some people are just not so wine savvy that they might see Cabernet Franc and they see Franc next to Cabernet. And they're like, oh, this is just French Cabernet. It's French Cabernet. I was thinking, yeah, oh, well, it just must be Cabernet from France. France. I'm serious. Those pretentious French people changing the name of Cab Sauv. Like, I want Cabernet American. I don't want Cabernet yeah, Franc. Cabernet American. Ca- ca- Cabernet Merca. Cabernet Merca. <laughs> I want that clone varietal to come out sometime soon. Oh, see that? Oh, wait, I'd have a bottle of that. Hey, we, we invented some. We, we just invented something else now on the show. Ca- Cabernet America. Ca- Cabernet America. <laughs> it's, our, it's our answer to Cabernet Franc. <laughs> but no, I think that that's with a varietal like this that some people might get confused and think that. But in France, like I said, once again, it's either blended into Bordeaux. It's one of the five Bordeaux varietals you can use in Bordeaux. And then Chenon is Cabernet Franc. Is Cab? Because that is that part of the Loire? I, I believe so. Yeah. So one day we'll obviously do Cab Franc from another side of the area. But we want to do California a little bit just because obviously we have these ones. But um, I'm, it's one of the... I don't have a statistic for it, but I'm seeing it more and more often. So I'm gonna go on. Uh, I'm gonna go on my feelings here and say I feel like it's coming uh, around. People are trying more and more of it. I just hope that it's of made of quality because this is one of those varietals that it is almost like a, a Malbec from Argentina. And I say that because for me, I always say Argentina Malbec is all over the board. You go to the store, you buy a bottle, you never know what the fuck it's gonna taste like. Yeah, it's gonna be big. It's gonna be tannic. It's gonna be fruity. It's gonna be light. It's meaty. You, it's you, be, yeah, they could be all be from Mendoza, but they're from different uh, altitudes on the hill. So they're going to taste very, very different. And to me, Cabernet Franc is like that. Somebody could go to the store and buy a Cabernet Franc and go, oh my God, this is amazing. And then they go and buy another one and it tastes completely different. Yeah. This is a, almost a little, the, the production of this wine in a way in America is almost a little bipolar. And I say that because it's, it's not bipolar, but it's a schizophrenic. It has yeah. a slightly different personality depending on, you know, who's producing it, how it was picked, how it was maintained. Whereas if I'm trying Cabernet Sauvignon, it's going to have nuances 
But it's going to still be it's Cabernet. still Cab. Still Cab. Yeah. It's one of those ones you could sit there and be like, oh, well, it's Cab, but this is a higher tier Cab. This is a real high tier Cab. Versus, yeah, Cab Franc is like you feel like you're having two totally separate wines depending on where you get it from. And good quality Cabernet Franc, I could mistake for Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that blue line alone, we A, knew it wasn't Merlot, but oh, my God, that's fantastic. So the one I brought was uh, from Via Dare. And honestly, when I first saw it, I thought it was Vader. I was like, oh, Damien would love this. But it's Viader, V-I-A-D-E-R. And it's their uh, their D.A.R.E. project. And this was an old one I had in a collection. So it's from 2004, Napa Valley. And I wanted to try this just to see how something like this would age. And obviously, being 2004, it's a 15-year-old Cab Franc. And we know, obviously, that Cab Franc ages well uh, from the Hourglass one. So this was a kind of a shot in the dark to see what it was. And we were talking about this with Sean, obviously saying he was a really great producer, that Viader, and it was kind of cool we had this bottle. I think Jason, I think. No, it was it was uh, Sean. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, well, because I remember you pulled the bottle. Yeah, it was Sean. Because I, well, yeah. I remember you pulled the bottle off under the table because he mentioned it, and you're like, this bottle? This bottle right here <laughs> that's been sitting on the ground? Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the uh, old one? I think it's delicious. Um, the nose throws me off a little bit at first. The nose smells old. It, it smells does smell old. It smells like a backroom wine. Yeah. Um, and this is our term for wines that have just been sitting around too long, maybe not stored perfectly. Uh, it's that kind of old wine smell, that oxidization smell. Um, I just call it back. Whenever I, me and my friends, we talk about backroom wines. Backroom like, wines. Because I have a room in my house that's just filled with cases of random wines. It smells like the back door, huh? Yeah. little Ooh. funky. little funky. So this... The, the, no, the, the nose originally, at first, I was like, suspect when I first smelled it, yeah. because it has a little bit of it. It's not over the top. Like, when we tried the uh, Barbera with Cullen. Oh, it was immediately. It was it was this nose times 50. Yeah. So, but it's mild. But tasting this, the, the tannins are integrated. It's got a really velvety, velvety, like, mouthfeel. Dude, it's your favorite five-letter word. <laughs> Smooth. So yeah, I do, I agree with you 100%. I honestly, I smelled it like when I pulled the cork out, <laughs> counting, and uh, I pulled the cork out and I was like, ooh, that smelled really good. And then when I poured it, I was like, oh man, it smells a hair cooked, but it's not cooked. It is. I like the back room analogy a little bit better. But when I like spin the glass, then the fruit kind of comes out and that that backroom smells kind of goes away from me a little bit. And it smells like still like an old wine for sure, but it's like the fruit's just barely hanging on in the nose, and you have to like twir- uh, spit it in a glass to get it to like pop out, basically. And some of that might come out over time because this is a 2004 vintage. By the way, the Malibu wine is 2017. It's bright, fresh, new. Oh yes. Uh, but but this this Viader is 2004. So you're looking at something that's like 14, 15 years old. Man, it's been bottled up for a long time. There's got to be some funk in that bottle after being bottled up all that time. Yeah. And, you know, it traveled through a few places to get to here. <laughs> yeah. Through a few collections and who knows. And I'm glad to have this is all from this one major collection I got my hand on where every bottle we've opened so far has been pretty good. So I, I was happy to open this and, you know, be surprised. Like we talked about this, how, you know, you have that little bit of thing in the back of your head. You're like, please don't be bad. Please don't be bad. Please don't be bad. And you open it. And you're like, oh, thank God. It means it's going to be drinkable. That is one of the greatest feelings when you open a wine you, that you're worried about and it tastes delicious. Yeah. That's one thing about Cab Franc I'm noticing is it smells. I don't get a crazy amount of oak at the littlest amount. And I don't know how they oak it. It doesn't say anything. I tried looking it up and they were just like, yeah, this is our Cabernet Franc product. I've had some that have had a very heavy hand on the oaking. 
Yeah, like that one that's sitting over there. That okay, I was, I was, he, he's pointing at something. And I'm like, what's he pointing at? Yeah. So yeah, there's there's some people that just like Cabernet Sauvignons, they're making their Cabernet Francs because they want you to lay it down for an extra two or three years. Yeah. They don't want you to drink it right away. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the point of a quality producer. If you want to drink something right away, buy something for twenty bucks. You want yeah. you want to lay it down, step up. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to drink that thing seven, eight, ten years later, you gotta have you gotta spend the money to do that. And it's honestly, it's the very few times it's so worth the wait. It really, really, really is. It's just annoying because, I mean, I'm looking at bottles like I just got my realm allocation in, and uh, you know, for the amount of money that I spent on it, I'm like, I'm not gonna drink this damn wine for like ten, fifteen years. And it's so frustrating to do that. It is frustrating. I get yelled at for not saying the extra R. Frustrating. Is that from your friend in Florida? Florida, yeah. <laughs> Florida, Florida. But something like a wine that you've laid down for 15 years and you open it up, it brings back the memory of when you first got it, when you put it in that cellar, this anxiety that you're going through right now with your realm laying it down. When you open it up, you are going to remember this conversation we're having right now. And that's kind yeah. of what's nostalgic about wine. Yeah. And the thing is, like, if I opened it right now and it's corked, I could be like, oh, I can get a new bottle. But 15 years from now, if it's corked, well, Shit out of luck. Yeah, and if I put money into an investment for 15 years, I expect to get a good return on my investment. Yeah. But with a wine, you could age that for 15 years, and it might get shittier. But you know what the crazy thing is, too? You actually are getting an investment on it because you get to talk about it. You get a, you get the excitement. Every time I open my thing, you go, oh, cool, it's there. Like, you are getting dividends in, like, emotional feels to some of the wines that you'll have. Like, there are definitely people out there who, and I'm definitely in this one. You have it. When you open your cellar sometimes, like, I'm not going to drink this. I don't want to drink this. At some point, you have to. You have to. Like, you're at a point. But the problem is, it's always, it's like that boxer who you're like, man, he should have retired a while ago, but it's still fun to watch. Like, that's kind of like wine committee. You're like, oh, I should have had that because two fights ago. Right. But there's that moment in which he pulls something out and you're like, he still had a little something in him. A little something in him. You know, when George Foreman came back at like 60 years old and won the heavyweight championship, like, you're like, man, that dude should have retired 20 years sooner. But when he won it, you're like, holy shit. And that 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 so much more. Yeah. You and know, that's that's some of these wines that we have is we'll sit there and for the money I'll spend every time I go through my cellar to grab certain bottles to look at, I'm like, cool, like I got this. So I get a good five second dopamine hit where I'm like, all right, cool. I have that. So over a 15 year period, it'll pay back until I open that bottle. Man, and it, then then I'll either be thoroughly disappointed or thoroughly happy. <laughs> it's so tough to make that decision to drink an only bottle that you have in the only cooler. One, just you one. Know? Yeah. And, or if it's the last one. But if, if I have six of something, I will be more than happy to grab one or two or three. When I have one, those are the ones that kind of just sit and sit and sit. And I, I guarantee I've let some of them sit too long. Yeah. You know, we, you know we, what we should probably do? And I mean, I don't have any. I think I've got maybe like one. But like if I get kiss, if I get like once I have money to start like buying cases of it, I think when I get done the last two bottles, I'm always going to bring those last two bottles with me. So the four I'll drink whenever, and then once I have that fourth one, I go, oh, I think, you know, it's at a certain point. I'm going to bring that other bottle with me no matter where I go, both of them. So A, if it's corked, I've got a second one. But B, if I'm like, this is peaking right now, I'm going to open that other same exact bottle at the same night for everybody else to keep enjoying the rest of that. And if I go, holy crap, it's falling apart, I'm definitely going to open that other one right on the spot. I don't know. I mean, that's just my thought on what I would do. That's what I would do on my last two bottles of something that I had a case of. Yeah, and also something like like with you with like Realm, say if you're on the wine club, you're getting wines every single year. True. 
So if you're opening your last one or two, you know you still have the next vintage, the vintage after. Like, yeah. That's why I never really truly feel bad about opening like stuff like my Songs Liege because I've been a wine club member for We're years. Get it. Yeah. I'm still gonna new, new bottles are gonna show up every six months regardless. Yeah, and something new, something old, but yeah, and, and with California being what California is, there's only gonna be one in every ten years where you're like, eh. That didn't really work out the way I wanted to, but then it's just a totally new drink. It's scary to age wine, especially because a lot of people think that if you age a wine, it's going to get better. And to some people, age wine doesn't taste good. Yeah. I wonder how many people have been disappointed in the world, you know, that they bought a great bottle, held onto it for six years, opened it, and it was shit. A lot. There's a lot of people out there, especially where if you buy a wine and you're drinking that on the spot, whether it's a tasting whether you're part of the club, and you go, oh my God, especially at a tasting, by the way, because you're having that vintage, and you love it then, you're definitely going to have a different opinion of it if it's a 10-year-old bottle. And if it's not what you like, and you've got all these other cases that are that old, well, you're like, damn, man, I apparently just love it younger. Like, I really enjoy four, five, six-year age Napa, Napa Cab, unless it comes off of a mountain. Like, I just, after 10 years, I think a lot of the stuff on the floor is not the flavors that I'm looking for in my wine. I more want it to stay fruity, but the tannin to be integrated, but still, you know, I kind of like the aggressive tannins. I love Barolo and Nebbiolo. I like it younger than you older. Ever, you ever thought of getting, like, a like a silver Sharpie or something like that and writing, like, a, a drink date on your bottles before you put them away? No, I've actually never even thought about that. I just, it just came to like, or putting like a little drink, uh, drink by. <laughs> yeah. I'm also like, like, you know, when you bought it, you know, when you lay it down and when you put it in your cellar, you have an idea of when you're going to drink it, but sometimes it just sits in there and sits in there. And sometimes you have to be reminded, don't drink this yet. And sometimes you have to be reminded, I need to drink this. I got to drink this. Yeah. So, so, you know, getting like a label maker and putting a, a thing on the back of the bottle that you make that says drink in the drink me in this year. Yeah. That might not be like an idea. Alice in Wonderland, like <laughs> drink me in 2018. That's a really good idea, actually. So this way, when you go, this way, when you go through your cooler, and you're like, should I drink this? Should I drink this? Should I drink? Th- oh, this one says drink me now. Yeah, because that too mentally is like, well, I wrote this ten years ago. I, I probably I should w- listen. I to was myself. meant. Yeah, it was meant to drink this year. Yeah, because I've definitely I've got one or two bottles where they're sitting in there, and I'm like, I think it's definitely past its point of me drinking it, but I'm still not ready to drink it. I'm like, there's there's I'm like, there's going to be an occasion where I need to bust this wine out, but I don't know if that occasion is ever going to come. Like yeah. I've got some birthday year wines for some friends of mine, but I'm like, I might not see this person on their birthday during this time at all in that year. Cause they live in a different state. They live in something different. I'm like, why am I holding on to this then? I should enjoy this with the friends around me. Cause the odds of this one thing happening are pretty much impossible. <laughs> well, when I was 21 years old, I went with my friend to the Roach winery or Roche, R O C H E. And it's, <laughs> Spelled the same way as one of my best friends from New York. We call him Roach, John Roach. And we specifically went to that winery just because it was his last name. We had so much fun with the owners. Like, they were actually closing when we showed up. This is a great little quick story. Is that we knocked, like, we were getting ready to walk in. He's like, sorry, we're closing right now. My buddy goes, but my last name is Roach. And she looked at him, she goes, prove it. And he pulls out his license and slaps it to the window or whatever. And she's like, come on in. <laughs> we ended up barbecuing with them and hanging out in their house that night. And Dude, that's so awesome. much fun. And I remember, I was 21 years old. I didn't know shit about wine. Yeah. And I bought a bottle of their Merlot. And I put it in a cabinet for, like, 10 years. My boy came to visit. We opened that bottle like 10 years later, and it was way over the top. Dead, cooked, bad, horrible. And it was almost like I waited so long to drink it with him, and it was actually painful to drink it. Like, I mean, to dump it down the drain, it hurt. 
I was so excited that night to open it, and then I went from being so excited to so sad in a matter of minutes. <laughs> That's a roller coaster of emotions with wine. It really is. I mean, imagine if you and I, 15 years ago, visited a winery, you bought a bottle and you put it in your cooler, and then for like my 50th birthday, like, Damon, Surprise. I still have this bottle. You and I bought our first time going on vacation together, and we opened it, and it was crap. Yeah, that would be really deflating. Because you're like, I've held this for 15 years. I've looked at it every single day. Yeah, but that's also where that payoff I was kind of talking about is, is you know, you sit there and I for 15 years, I'm looking at this going, oh, man, we had such a good time. That was such a fun tasting. That was this, 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 and blah, 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 over that whole 15-year period. But then it's like going to a movie, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds, and then they're like, and here's the end of the movie, and you're like, wow, that plot line sucked. That was a shit ending, but the movie was good, and then the ending ruined the movie. That's like a bad bottle of wine, in that case, that long of a later time. So it was like the Sopranos ending. <laughs> it just ends. <laughs> just horrible. I can't remember. Dang, I saw a movie recently where I was like, this is an amazing movie, and then it ended, and I was like, well, it's, uh, it's most Netflix movies right now. Most Netflix movies are amazing, and then they clearly were like, I don't know how to end this. <laughs> well, I think it's also difficult making a movie where they know people are going to binge watch, where back in the day, you could you knew it was going to be a week, a week, a week, a week, a week, and so when it ended, you, someone just didn't spend eight hours binge watching. When you spend eight hours binge watching something, you have a vested interest, and when it ends shitty, you're like, I just wasted eight hours. Yeah. But if you spread that over a 40 minutes a show for 12 weeks, when it ends, you're like, eh. That's kind of the difference of a case of wine then, because like you open it one year, then you open it another year, and then you open it another year. And just like certain episodes, one year might be better than the other. You're like, oh, I loved it when we had it last year. Oh, I don't like it this year. Oh, I love it next year. And then all of a sudden it ends. And you're like, well, that was really great. Out of the six bottles, four were amazing, two sucked. And otherwise, you're just going to drink all of it soon and be like, well, that was... A binge. <laughs> I know Sopranos is the one show or one of the shows where people talk about it having one of the worst endings of all time. I know there's a couple other shows out there that have had some pretty sh- <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan movies for the most part. Yeah. Or not movies, but a couple. Or like series, stuff like that. Like stuff like Seinfeld or Friends. Some of these Seinfeld show- apparently had a, just an awful ending. It did. I never saw it. I don't really remember it off the top of my head, but I remember it was really... I remember they all went to jail. It was disappointing. Yeah. Like It was just like, what? Like, that's how you're going to end this? Yeah. yeah. Especially a few of those. I mean, it's really hard, I guess, to end a series like that. Like How I Met Your Mother had the... I think How I Met Your Mother was the worst TV series ever to end the way it did. And I loved it. How I Met Your Mother was one of the funniest TV shows at the time. And then when they were like, we're done. No, just kidding. There's one more season. They should have just been like, no, like, that's it. We're done. Because that last season was atrociously bad. <laughs> no, actually, that was something I heard about how we, how I met your mother. Like, their ending was bad. Um, man, there was another one, too, that was kind of like that, that it was... When it ended, it was just... People were pissed. A uh, Dexter. Dexter? I, I never saw Dexter. I never did either. But I remember that was another one. Social media, like, yeah. people just raging how horrible the, the series ending was. But imagine the good ones, though, like The Wires, where it's only five seasons, and people are clamoring. They're like, we want more, we want more. And they're like, no, like, that's it. They're kind of like the Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson's. Like, there's more in the gas tank. There's more to do. And they go, no, we're done. Like, you mean the Rob Gronkowski's? The Rob Gronkowski's. Yeah, but Rob Gronkowski's probably leaving to go... Can you say that again? Rob Gronkowski's. <laughs> Rab- Gronkowski's. <laughs> Rob Gronkowski is going to go plummet from the ceiling and land on people on a table in a squared ring. <laughs> yeah, he's going to go WWE. Is he? Oh, I'd, I'd almost guarantee it. He's got it. He's such a... John Cena is Rob Gronkowski already, basically. So he's going to show up in... Rob's going to show up in his jorts along with like his armbands 
point at John Cena and play like a mariachi band behind him while John Cena plays the trumpets behind him, and then they're going to pretend to fight for 20 minutes. It's going to be the greatest I'm, show ever. I'm telling you, I I want to hate Rob Gronkowski so much. He it's has impossible. He has played for like U of my all-time, like, yeah. But the, my biggest college rivalry team that I can't stand is U of A. Yeah. I hate U of A. And your rivals of football and uh, state for Patriots. that Patriots. If he wasn't Ron Gronkowski, he'd be my least favorite player of all time. But it's like, you got to like him. Dude, he's you just so gotta awesome. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's because he's real. Like, there's no bullshit in that guy. Like, he's he's I, a meathead. If they told me that after the Super Bowl, he took the Super Bowl with the Super Bowl trophy, the Lombardi trophy, to a strip club, Las Vegas, and did keg stands on one hand while holding the Super Bowl trophy, I'd be like... Yeah, that sounds about right. That's exactly what I picture Rob yeah. Gronkowski would do. Like if somebody came to me and said, Rob Gronkowski is actually a wine, so he's a sophisticated person, and he loves wines, and he likes to sit in front of a fire and sip brandy, be like, get the fuck out of here, that's a lie. Yeah, no, he's from Buffalo. He likes jumping off cars onto folding tables. He owns an RV that he actually sleeps in his backyard, probably, and throws kegs over walls just for fun to practice for that Irish competition where they lift rocks and throw kegs over walls, probably. The strongest man stuff? Yeah, like, I believe he probably does. Does that he does he's like a caveman yeah but i think he's that guy that every man that has testosterone in their body respects him yeah he's probably the person that doesn't knock on your door rings the doorbell he just walks in and screams as loud as he can he doesn't even open the door gently he slams it into the wall to a point where it gets stuck <laughs> hey the patriots are gonna be in a rough they're gonna be in a lot of trouble without him though that's for sure oh yeah i'm sorry the 27 super bowl championship rings that they have at this point they're gonna be in trouble without rob gronkowski it's the Patriots. They're going to pull a miracle out of their ass or, you know, get a handy. That, <laughs> seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up, too. Like, what is a billionaire doing going to a massage parlor in a shitty strip mall in Florida? Well, you're a billionaire. You could fly supermodels into from around the world without a problem. Dude, if, I, if that day spa doesn't advertise as the greatest massages on the planet that billionaires came to them. Seriously. Like, like you go to find these, like... Russian oligarchs or these like Arab princes or these like Spanish entrepreneurs or these people that run Dutch shipping companies that are worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. And they get caught with a five dollar hooker. But but you know what they do? No, they they throw out their yachts and they 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 just say, you know what, all you girls just come on the yachts. One of you is gonna hook up with and me. And we're in international waters, so therefore it's not illegal. Doesn't matter. And and what does he do? He goes to a he's a Florida man now. Florida man caught Flor he's actually a Florida man. <laughs> he's officially oh, wow. a Florida man now. You know what's crazy? You know what that you know what that massage parlor probably is? It's like those Michelin star restaurants that you hear about, but they're always in weird areas. Like Juro is in the subway with like four things. Yeah, apparently that's what it is. Uh, Binkley's is in my is in Taco Row right here in my Taco neighborhood. Row. Yeah, you things know? like that. Or even look at Atlas Bistro here in town. You know, yeah, I didn't want to compare the day spot Atlas, but I was but, like, All but right. in the Wilshire Plaza with like you have no idea the, it's there. The, the 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 meth house cooking it up out back for years. <laughs> <laughs> that meth house caught on fire one night. It was so funny watching all the meth heads like go running out of it. That it's so funny. That neighborhood went from such crap to like just mediocre crap now. I'm pretty sure the guy behind that Wilshire Plaza has a large weed grow up because I'd never now and then I walk outside. I'm like, wow, that smells fresh. And there's just an RV trailer thing in his backyard with the silver tint across all the windows and a vent coming out of the roof. I'm like, huh? And a power cord running to it. I'm like, huh? Okay, so I that, bet there's that, a lot of weed in there. Oh, it's probably the old meth house. He's like, it's so much. The one right, literally right, right behind, behind it. it. Yeah. yeah, on the corner. Yeah, it's the same one. Yeah, that was. 
You know, it's probably a lot safer to make, to grow marijuana than it is to try and be like. Well, nothing's gonna burst into meth. flames or explode. So yeah, I remember my buddy like deciding he wanted to do like a still in his backyard. Oh and, yeah, that's and, super illegal. And he built one here, like you know, a couple miles up the street, built a copper still, put it in his backyard to still. I'm like, man, you basically have a bomb. Yeah, it's it's one thing that I've people don't understand is a. Uh, it's not legal as a citizen to distill spirits. You can make your own beer at home. You can make your own wine at home, but you cannot distill spirits because they do not want you to blow your garage up. That's why I had the police come to my house when I lived at Barbara house that one time because they thought I had a still because I had all my brew equipment in there and I had the garage door up and my neighbor walked by and gave me a dirty look and she thought it was either a meth lab or whatever because she called the police and they showed up and they were like, we got reports that there's a... I swear they thought it was a meth lab. And I was like, no. And they were like, is it a distillery? And I, I literally walked him into the garage. I was like, this is just a beer setup. But is, it, is this back when you had your like like baggy pants and big fur coat days? Uh, first off, <laughs> I still have that big, ugly fur coat. So no. if, if, you, if you were dressed like that and you had that in your yard, I'd be like, yeah. I, I did have a shaved head, though, at that one. Did I have my shaved head at that point? Not like buzzed head. I might have. Oof. I don't remember. I think I may have had my hair grown at that time. That was a terrible look. Oh, dude, I look back at some of the looks I've had over the years. I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> your long hair and your soul patch. <laughs> oh, I rocked a soul patch for years. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. I had different distance, like lengths of it. I want to, we should make a wine called Back in the Day, and it's just terrible pictures of all of us, like Polaroid pictures, like the Kendrick Lamar album, where it's just the picture of his Polaroid picture of that band. And just slap them on all the bottles and sell those. Well, you off. just yeah, you do like the back in the day series. You could do like Soul Patch, Syrah, Soul Patch, <laughs> <laughs> all the horrible stuff like that we used to dress up as. Oh, God, some of the things I used to wear. I had basketball jerseys. I think I wore a basketball jersey a couple times backwards because I really wanted to look like an asshole. <laughs> I literally went from having a bowl cut to like long hair to a shaved head. Man, the things we do as younger people. I don't know how I survived <laughs> the eighties. <laughs> and the 90s uh, yeah. and every day and the ever 2000s. since yeah. <laughs> there's so much crap out there that i'm like i can't believe we did this and i can't believe that after all the stuff we did we're sitting here drinking sophisticated wine doing a podcast right we're trying to be classy <laughs> people talking about how we had shaved heads and i used to draw fake tattoos on me at times for the hell of it like i really look like an awful human being for a while it's no wonder most of my friends aren't like i don't really have friends from high school and college because i probably sucked <laughs> like if you would have told me when i was in 1994, that like when I was in my skater grunge phase, you know, it was baggy pants, flannels, and a skateboard. Basically, was my attire. That I would be doing a podcast about wine someday. Well, this Cab Franc's from 2004. So 2004, I was a junior in high school, and at my high school, we were wearing polo shirts, sometimes two at a time, with popped collars and like basketball shorts on, because it was an all white high school for the most part, and everybody sucked. <laughs> 2004 was when Fish broke up permanently. Oh, uh, was well, that the original breakup? That, that was the second one. Or that was the long one. That was the 04 to 09. Uh, so bad memories from this 04 Cap Franc. Yeah, it was a bad fish vintage. It's bad fish. <laughs> <laughs> Those would be great. We should we should have a, a fish podcast where it's just fish vintages. Oh, what happened in 2003, 2004? We don't talk about 2004. <laughs> It was almost like the Brunello scandal. Like, yeah, they didn't they didn't make a vintage from uh, 05 to 09. I like this one. This this old Cab Franc is growing on me. I, there's some old wines that I do like because I do like it where the fruit's kind of tailing down and the old characteristic is coming out, like right at like a, a specific point. Now where either one is overpowering those old tertiary flavors versus the fruit dying. Unlike this Malibu, man, this Malibu is 
I don't know what the price is, but if this is 20 bucks, 25 bucks even, uh, this will sell well. Probably, if not even maybe cheaper. I don't even know, to be yeah. honest. I can ask them. Well, I looked at, I looked, I was online when you were talking, and uh, their Cabernet Sauvignon Reserve is 30. So this has to be less. Yeah. Sub 20. Probably. That's now, honestly, if people see, if you see Malibu Rocky Oaks Estate Vineyards, I doubt you're going to see it in Arizona. Definitely give it a shot if you've never had Cab Franc. I think it's a great introductory Cab Franc. I think with Cab Franc, you really, I think the magic price is right around 20 or less. I mean, you can get some great Cab Francs for that price. If I'm going to spend a lot of money on something to lay down, I'm probably going to put it more into Cabernet if it's domestic. Yeah. Cabernet Franc, I, I give it a few years. I got, we got some old ones back there we're going to drink at some point. Like I got one from Franis. I got, I have some Hourglass still. It's nice to see how these age. I mean, to be honest with this, there's almost no tannin structure in this. Yeah, it's, it's so smooth. Yeah, the, the Malibu Rocky one almost has no tannin structure at all. And even the dare, the tannin that's there is so, so light, it's almost unnoticeable, which either it's so ingrained into the wine that it's perfect or it really didn't have much to begin with. Do you think that, I guess I'm just not overly versed in Cabernet Franc. I mean, I've had probably a couple hundred of them, but it's not like I've truly studied them. Are the tannins, as a general rule, pretty soft in them naturally? Do you know? I have noticed, and this is going off of two... No, one, two. Okay, so it's going off of three vintages. The tannins on this would be the equivalent of pebbles that were like in a river versus like Cab Sauv or like stones that get thrown into a river. That's a great reference. So, you know, you throw a stone into a river over a long period of time, it'll smooth out and you've got yourself, you know, a good hand size rock that's smooth. The Cab Franc is more of like jagged pebbles. You, if you stepped on it, like asphalt, not asphalt, like what you put in your backyard where it's like small and it's there when it's young. But as it ages, then it just becomes really almost like sand in a way, minus the graininess. I, I, I know what I'm thinking, but the tannins are just so light. They're very small tannins compared to Cab Sauv or big tannins. They're just not aggressive. They're not aggressive. Yeah. You know, and even brand new. Like I would imagine, and I, I don't know from this, but the new ones I've had from Hourglass and Turnbull, the tannin is more, I get more oak tannin than I actually do grape tannin. And it's, it's crazy because it's very, very, very similar, and being the father of it, to Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, some of the flavor characteristics, you know, we keep talking about bell pepper, but, you know, I know chili's a, a flavor characteristic. You get into it a lot. Like, you'll get, like, chili flake. Oh, like, oh, oh I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the country. No, oh, yeah. no, no. But, like, uh, for me, when I think Cabernet Franc, I literally think green bell pepper. So, for me, with Cab Sauve, without the fruitiness, like, if I took away, like, the red fruit flavors, dark fruit flavors from it, I get into, um, I always go with my, uh, like, herb cabinet. Like I open it up and it all kind of hits you in the face and depending on what you have in there, it can be that. So I get like herbit, herb, herbaceous, if I say that right, herbaceous notes a little bit on the cap front, but more like green herbaceous notes. Um, so like a parsley, oregano style ones, or even kind of medicinal on good ones. And then it drifts into like the fruit comes out versus cab. I only get that when it's a, like a cooler year or it's a little underripe when they do more Bordeaux style caps off. Cab Franc just comes off lighter, might be the better word. And maybe there was a reason that they blend this into Cabernet, and they've been doing it for thousands of years, because they've realized that it's a great varietal on its own, but when you pair it with another varietal, it accent they both accentuate each other. Yeah. You know what? It, it's kind of like on a car where like the engine is the Cab Sauv, it's aggressive, it's fast, and whatever, and the Cab Franc being blended is your suspension, where it smooths out the ride so you don't notice that you've got this massive beast of an engine in the car. But if you don't have Cab Franc, you don't have a suspension, that yeah. thing's going to rock all over the place, and it's going to be one hell of a ride. Because I was thinking behind every great man is a great woman. I was, I was going to use the re woman reference, too. I was like, yeah, it's like the woman who puts the hand on the shoulder and goes, calm down. Yeah. 
don't lose your shit. <laughs> Be uh, chill. There's so many people out there that are successful, but they're way more successful because they have their woman tames them down a little yeah, bit. They to got not be so they got the cab front. They got their cab front paired with them. <laughs> cab France. It's cab France. <laughs> Hashtag cab France. <laughs> Hashtag cab France. <laughs> I'm I'm happy about that. I think Brandon did a really good job. Is it is Brandon? Right? Not Brandon. 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 Yeah. Brandon. Brendan, you did a great job in the Malibu Rocky Road, Rocky Oaks. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he doesn't maintain the vineyards or anything like that. I think he just makes he the wine. Just makes it. Yeah, he's been it making says it. it's made, made in Helzberg, so. But yeah. he's been making this wine for this guy for I think eight years now. He said, like that's this isn't cool. a this isn't a one off project. Like he's been doing it for a lot of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, if that's all they have, I don't know. I, and a Cabernet, yeah. Because most people, you know, if you're going to plant a vineyard with Cabernet, you're going to want the few other varietals to kind of flesh it out as you build your wine if you're depending on what style of a house you are like a joseph phelps a continuum they grow all the other variety bordeaux varietals to tweak their wine yeah. as they go and with this i'm sure that they if if, if he's growing 80 percent cab and 20 percent franc they'll take five percent of that franc and throw it in with the cabs and then do a small product like one-off labeling of the franc yeah exactly because may- maybe their Cabernet Sauvignon needs Franck in it. Like sometimes, like I said, it's sometimes you just need to have that support. Yeah, it just depends on that year. I'm I'm happy with these. I think this is really dope. <laughs> no, it was. It, once again, there are two wines that you and I had never had. We didn't know anything about. We didn't know anything going into this. I had never had the Malibu Rocky Oaks. Theater I've had before, but I've never had this particular produ- uh, wine. And also something 04. Even if I had a wine, once it's 15 years old, I haven't had a wine. Yeah. Doesn't and matter. It's only because you have a few of those, like the uh, hourglass. I can tell you, I know what hourglass tastes like, but do I know what twenty-year-old hourglass tastes like? No. No. So really, it's I've never tried that wine. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's funny because I think the only couple of cab francs that I have are the hourglass, the Turnbull, and I had one more stuffed away that I was going to hold on to. But yeah, it's it's mostly bigger guys who also use cab franc. In their, oh, James Cole. That was the other yeah. one. It's big guys who use, they have their Cabernet and they use their blend and they're like, well, we've got all this extra Cab Franc. Let's make a few cases out of it and call it a day. Well, or excuse know, me, a few barrels out of it. I know Peter Frannis, like he's a Zivendel producer, does some Cab, does some other like Merlot, little one-offs here and there. But his Franc, he only produces every five or six years. Peter Frannis from? Peter Frannis Winery. Why am I not, who am I thinking? I, no, no. Was, Do you know how you know Peter Frannis? Because it was George Frazier's favorite wine and he always had Peter Frannis Zivendel. And, and, and he has Peter Frannis barrels as his uh, wash sink at the new Fraser's location. Okay. With like Peter Frannis corks going around it. It's got like an upside down. Like, that makes P. sense then. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's the P and the P. Like it's upside it, down. It, yeah. It's like a P and an F. P and an F. Yeah. And they're yeah, like. Yeah. It almost looks like what Halter Ranch kind of did. Yeah. George had come up to me. I think I devoured. He was like, just to let you know. He's like, I don't have it on my list for the first time in like 30 years. He used to serve Peter Wines in St. Louis at his restaurant. I believe it. I mean, well, you know, he's got the barbecue house and the hot chicken, which we need to go eat. Yeah, and I think the distribution. Once again, we were going back to the commercials. Like, uh, they're just not around. It's difficult to get distribution around the nation with the consolidation the way it is yeah. and trying to get it into every state. And sometimes you realize that if you're going to fight the battle, you go fight the battle, it, the wars you can win. You're going to go put your wine into New York, Florida, Vegas. Like, is it worth spitting your wheels to sell 15 cases in Tennessee? Plus, trying to get your wine skewed up in that state, there's a lot of cost involved. You got to pay for licensing. You got to register your winery. If it's going to cost me $1,000 to register my winery in a state to, just before I start selling it, 
I need to be able to make a thousand dollars of profit before I even break even, sell my wine yeah. in that state. If you sell a thousand bottles to that state, which is a hundred cases, basically, you got to add an extra dollar to that bottle just to break even. And if I'm only making three hundred and fifty cases, why, so why, why would I? Why, why bother? Yeah, you know. And then why bother making a commercial? Why bother having an Instagram influencer? Exactly. You know, because all you need is five clients that'll be like, all right, we'll take a case, and you'll make more doing that than you would have spent the thousand bottles to uh, Tennessee. Yeah. Well, they'll sit there for who knows how long. The, the, the laws in each state sometimes are very, very rough on alcohol producers. Like, they spend a lot of money. And I can understand why somebody like Jack Daniels has the money and the capital to do it, but does Malibu Rocky Oaks have the infrastructure <laughs> to do this? No. I'd be amazed if Malibu Rocky Oaks was in more than one restaurant in Malibu. Yeah. Brennan Mom's wines. His yeah. wines are available in California. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Now, it used to be here, and now not. Yeah, that's how I found him was because he used to be here, but that was many years ago. Yeah, I've never even heard of Viadere or until I got this bottle in that collection. Oh, really? Yeah, I never heard of him. I, I know, I I know the name now. After I've talked to people about this wine, they go, "Oh man, dude, they make great stuff." They like do. Sean, yourself, and a couple other people will be like, "Oh yeah, Viadere is fantastic," but I never heard of him. I like what they do with the label too. The way it almost looks like a label torn. Is torn. Oh God, I have that Natalie Imbruglia song in my head. Do you remember from? I'm assuming 2004, Four. by the way. <laughs> well, the perfect sky is torn. I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. Yeah. Thanks for singing. You're welcome. Uh, we have new outro music now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to totally cut and clip that. <laughs> this is how, yeah. That's okay, our, thanks. That's officially our new intro music. <laughs> oh, God, please, please be 2004. Let's see. Oh, nope. 1997. Holy shit balls. That's older. Yeah, so I was way off, but still. That's weird. Now I say the torn thing, and then that song from 20 years ago basically just pops in my head. Drinking wine just inspires random thoughts to pop back in your head. You never thought they were still there. That's true, man. That's why it's fun doing these things. I love this. I love what we're doing, and A, drinking stuff like this, just so we can go on nonsense ramblings. <laughs> we've talked about Natalie and Bruglia. We've talked about G.I. Joe, Transformers. Knowing is half the battle. Cap this was, Cabernet this was Franc. a rabbit hole. <laughs> totally. This, Cabernet Franc brought out the weirdest stuff in us, man. What is this, like the mushrooms of wine? <laughs> totally. Damn. <laughs> what are your final thoughts on these? Honestly, great wines all around. I really should drink more Cabernet Franc. The Malibu Oaks is something that I think if more people made a Cabernet Franc like this, Cabernet Franc would have a a bigger impact right now in the United States than it, ha it has right now. I think more people would drink it. I think that this would be a great wine as a gateway into drinking red wines. Cause Absolutely. this particular producer, this particular style. It's I, so approachable. It is. Yeah. Somebody who's like, oh, I've had a couple Pinots I like. I kind of like this. Like, but can you recommend some other red wines? I would be confident giving them this wine to try. Agreed. Now, I would not be confident giving the Viader to someone who's not a versed wine drinker because there's some funky components in it. And I enjoy those funky components. I really enjoy the fact that the tannins are integrated. They're old. They're soft. They're supple. The wine has very little fruit that's giving off. It's giving off more earthy flavors overall than it is fruit flavors. But that's what happens when it's 15 years old. Across the board, killer wines... I mean, opening old wines like this are just so much fun to just talk about, like, yeah. random stuff. Yeah, I'm, I, I like what they're doing with this Malibu Rocky Oaks. I, I agree with you. I would, if somebody came to me and poured this and I was not a wine drinker, or excuse me, red wine drinker yet, and they're like, this is a Cab Franc, try this, I think this would be great. I, to me, this 
kind of reminds me a little bit that first time I had that red Malbec um, when I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. It's like a fruity wine. I can get into wines a little bit. And, you know, it's the it's the wading pool. You know, you put your feet in, it's up to your ankles to give you an idea. And it's got such like nice characteristics to it. It's not astringent. It's not bitter. It's not tannic. Like it's just a good tasting wine. But you're right about this, Dare, man. This is definitely like opening up with this you would make sense. I would drink this at a, like a dinner event with some of our friends. Like I wouldn't just open this for somebody who never had wine before because they'd be like, oh, it tastes, you know, funky. Well, I will say that it, it's, it says something about your palate and my palate because often we do these shows and we'll crush through a bottle or two during the show while we're recording. But you and I have actually really savored these wines I think both of you and I have the same opinion. Like, I want to try this wine in two hours. I want to try this wine in three yeah. hours. This 04, it's not doing it justice right now to drink it because I think in two or three hours, it's going to be a completely different wine. And that's what happens often with old wines. True. And I, I would think the Malibu one will be the exact same from... In two hours, it's going to be light, fruity, easy drinking, yeah. crush, if crushable. If you open it at... What do we do? What do you open that at? Five o'clock? Yeah. And this will be the exact same wine four hours from It'll now. It'll still be crushable. Yeah. Honestly, that wine does not make it an hour, and not in a way of it's going bad, but everybody would drink that wine totally. within the hour. Yes. If you and whatever date you had didn't drink it within the hour. Because to me, this is a wine you don't have to think about. No. You just enjoy it. You just enjoy it. Yeah, it's just a good tasting, easy drinking wine. The dare you got to think about is like, oh, what is that? That's a weird taste. All right, hold on. Give me a second to try that and sit there and spin it while you think about Natalie and Bruglia or whatever. (laughs) Funky, funky world we live in in wine. I mean, that wine got you singing, so. (laughs) (laughs) And I I hope more wines get me singing. And I got it recorded. (laughs) Hey, if you want to put it as the outro music, I'm I'm all about that for an episode. Hilarious. Cool, man. Well, that was awesome. I like this one. Cool. Let's uh, grab some dinner and... uh, Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, go drink some Cabernet Franc. Try some from around the world. And we'll do a lot more episodes on Franc, too. Yeah, and if future. you always, you know, try some wines uh, that we recommend, or not even that we recommend, just like a varietal of it, tag us in that one on our uh, Spilling the Truth Instagram. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Love yep. you guys. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Perfect sky is torn. I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>